0: Well, there's something about friendship, you know, and there's this friendship you can have with, with your spouse, which is kind of alluded to some romantic uh, friendship in there. There's a kind of friendship you have even as your kids grow older, and they're not just your kids. They're now people you enjoy hanging out with, and you have a friendship perspective. And there's other times you just got some mates, folks you just enjoy hanging out with, and sometimes that's through business, sometimes that's through, uh, you know, working in a nonprofit together. I'd like you to uh, hear some hear firsthand from some of my friends. Can we give a warm Horizon welcome to Jeff Heimbaugh and Brendan Hansford? Come on down. Now, I did put the uh, the alcohol behind the cage because uh, <laughs> we're worried about the band getting in there, quite frankly, so. Well, ha- <laughs> oh yeah, just the band, just, just the, the band, band, not me. So how about you guys? How'd you guys become friends? We've known each other for 20 years, but how did the two of you meet?
1: Yeah, 20 plus years, right? Uh, yeah. We first met at Horizon, the war places. Back in those days, they would let anyone in. <laughs> <laughs> it's a low
2: bar. Uh, yeah, so, you know, we kind of, we, kinda, we we were, what, early 30s? Yeah, early th- yeah, probably, I mean, it was 99, 2000, so, yeah, it was yeah. a while ago. I was 10. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> had hair. I yeah. uh, had hair.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, um, our, our kids are kind of the same age. Yep. Uh, our wives are friends. We kind of grew up together. Um, we work together. You're an attorney. I'm a business guy. We, we do stuff together. We've traveled together.
2: Yeah, we, uh, s- it's, I mean from the beginning, so I, you, you know you've got a good friend, and Chad mentioned he's not a morning person. That would be a very good description of me as well. Um, and we had another friend of ours, Keith, who had a Bible study at his house that felt like it started at 4.30 in the morning. It probably wasn't, but it was really early. And his opening prayers were were in depth, let's just put it that way. And I had a tendency to fall asleep during that. And I knew Brendan was a good buddy because he knocked me in the leg right before we got going. So I'd wake back up and ready to go.
1: Yeah, but it was good. Keith would pray for a long time. So you get a nap and then- I'd That's up. right. We were ready to go.
2: So I knew he was going to be okay. He's going to my back.
1: You know, one of the, uh, the other things in our relationship has been soccer.
2: Yep, We've uh, played together in Chad, And Chad, and yes, Chad. We we're all a team yeah. together. In fact, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, did, we did not strike fear into the hearts of anybody no. in that league. But I went uh,
0: out there and put a clinic on, actually, for about 90 seconds, and I hit the wall <laughs> and realized I didn't have the stamina I had. So Brendan and I would swap out like every uh, every minute and a half, so we could actually be uh, competitive with everybody else. But
2: yeah, we did. We we've we've we obviously Brendan with his uh, New York accent. I'm uh, <laughs> uh, a big fan of the Premier League, is, and and I have become one. Um, so we we and his. Um, you know, beloved Plymouth Argyle. So I have <laughs> learned all about. Uh, I'll, I'll say, I'll say, second division. I know they're they're better now. Um, but you know, one of the things uh, I've coached soccer at Marymount High School for the boys team for about twenty years now. And Brendan's son, also son Mark, played for CHCA. And it is interesting, as you got, you know, as we've again known the kids, known the family, and we've become such good friends. We would play CHCA, and obviously, we, we want to win. But at the same time, I'm. Kind of watching out of the corner of my eye, hoping Mark does really well, too, because, you know, it's, it's almost like another sun for you. So. Yeah. In fact, That, you know, the, the only the, there's only one day, really, in
1: 25 years we've had a problem. It was June 12th,
2: 2010. <laughs> yep. No, I...
0: It's, it's counting.
1: The yeah. USA had the temerity to play England in soccer.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was... Of course, it ended in a draw, you know, so... <laughs> as most, most of them do. You were lucky. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, it's been... Uh, you know, one of the things we talk about with just friends, you know, we, st- we did. We started our, you know, getting to know each other from church, but it, it's grown so much beyond that to, you know, just being very comfortable. Um, you know, we, you can talk about anything where you don't talk about anything. That's that's even even more, uh, I think, more special. You just have kind of that, you know each other, you know the families, um, you know where each other's coming from. You know, Jeff, uh, sorry, Chad, um, last week I think you quoted from Romans
1: mm-hmm. this verse that says, um, friends... Rejoice with those who are rejoicing mm-hmm. and weep with those who are weeping. And you've, you've mentioned Mark, my son. Um, you've seen him grow up. In fact, you helped us celebrate his wedding. Yep, uh, that's right. Yeah. Fantastic.
2: We, we, yeah, fantastic. And, um, you know, the good side and the bad side. Uh, you know, we've, we've all been through as most people do. You go through, you know, some t- t- sad times and tough times. You know, I, I lost my uh, mom a couple years ago. Uh, my wife, Erica, her dad died about 14, 15 years ago and we're both from a little town outside of Columbus, uh, about 130 miles from here, and Brendan was, Brendan was there at each service. And not you know, you n- not to say anything, you didn't need to say anything, it's just being able to look out or see somebody and be like, wow, that, that means so much, uh, you know, that they can do that, so,
0: yeah. And uh, we've actually uh, all worked together for 20 years uh, in some way, I mean, you guys are both elders, you worked in a children's program almost the entire time, before me even. Um, what's it been like to kind of serve together at, at Horizon?
1: Okay, anyone who works for 20 years in the children's program gets a special medal
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth. That is the truth well
2: in fairness they put me on the three four and five year- olds oh, okay. so I'm, I'm with my people now so yeah
0: <laughs> but
1: I will say you know um, it's, it's a privilege to work on the board here with Jeff but sometimes that involves some difficult decisions and it's just nice to have a friend to work it through with yeah.
2: Yeah. it's been an, it really has been an honor um you know I know I know who Brendan is I know where his background is I know where he's coming from and to have that trust you know it just I know I know his heart, and, um, you know, there's nothing better than that. So, yeah, it's been an honor as well. So,
0: Awesome. Can you thank you guys for sharing your story? Awesome, guys. Thanks so yeah, much. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Well, there's something powerful about friendship, and of all the movies that don't get quoted enough, do you remember Crocodile Dundee? Oh, mate, it's not a knife. This is a knife. You I know, went and walk about. My Sheila was gone. I was only gone for two years. Well, there's a scene in the movie where he's gone to New York and he's talking to his New York girlfriend. And she mentions a friend of theirs has been going to a psychiatrist. And being from the bush, he's like, oh, I didn't know she was crazy. She's like, "She's not crazy, just going to a psychiatrist because she wants to kind of process some things, get some things out in the open. He's like, well, don't you have any mites? And her reply is, well, yeah, I guess we could all use more mates. He says, well, how do you do it out in the bush? McDundee says, well, out in the bush? If you got a problem, you tell Wally. Wally tells everyone it's out in the open, you got no more problem. <laughs> but I love that line we all could use a few more mates. And there's something about good friends. Good friends have this ability to dig deep wells, but also to draw the deeper waters, of what's going on inside of us, to understand what we're motivated by, when we need a kick in the pants, when we need a good laugh, when we need some space, when we need some time together. Great friends can dig deep wells but they also know how to draw the deeper waters. Duke University did a study and said that having four or more friends is good for your heart and good for your health. Here's what the study showed. One group had four plus friends versus the isolated group, which had less. They found that isolated groups were twice as likely to have heart disease. The statistical analysis factored for stress, social status, smoking, etc., but found having at least four friends helped people live significantly longer. We are built, our bodies, our souls, are built, our spirits, to need friendship. And probably one of the most famous writers on friendship is Cicero. So if you don't know the story of Cicero, he was an orator in uh, the Greek culture, and he spent a lot of his end of his life in somewhat isolation. But he wrote some of the best uh, how-to's, overviews of what friendship's about. One of the things he talked about is the difference between the kind of friends you kind of hang out with at work. Those are friends, more like acquaintances. The ones that you occasionally might play sport or play games with or hang out. Then there was a deep level of friendship he described as another self. Just someone you so connect with, it's almost like another self. The way you can laugh with each other, the way you can interact with each other. And Cicero's another self was a guy named Atticus. And Atticus was a pretty amazing guy. In a lot of ways, he was a banker, did very well for himself, so much so, imagine this as a banker, he decided as a banker that however he did make his money, he didn't charge anyone interest, which was just shocking, and became very, very successful as a banker, not charging interest, and just really being about entrepreneurial things, letting things grow in different ways. So he had this great reputation, and became like a a wise counsel to all kinds of people in in, in Greece and in, in the Roman area, and they would ask him questions about everything, from from life to to politics. And even though he wasn't really a politician, he was a sought after person for his wisdom. Atticus was. In fact, amazingly, when the republic came apart and got flipped over to an empire, many people got killed and destroyed. But Atticus had such a way of navigating relationships, even in politics and the the challenges of moving from an empire to a republic to an empire, he stayed with those relationships with everybody involved. Cicero and Atticus were such close friends that even when Cicero was in some degree of isolation, pushed away and they went to an empire, they would write each other letters three times a day. That's a pretty close friend. It's what Cicero called another self. So what does it look like to do that? What does it look like to develop those skills? What does it look like to reciprocate? Well, I think number one, if you're going to dig deep, deeper wells, you've got to know the benefits and the cost of digging a well. Right? It's not like digging a deep relationship is, is easy. It's time-consuming. So you have to know, one, the cost it's going to take, and then number two, the benefits of it. You know, what are the benefits that are going to be worth the time invested, the, the vulnerability I- I- ensued? And there's two friends in the Bible that are just kind of stand out amongst the rest. A guy named David, and maybe you've heard of David, he's kind of famous from killing Goliath. He's a real young teenager at that point, but because he kills Goliath, he not only wins um, kind of the f- he becomes famous in Israel, but kind of whoever killed Goliath would get a chance to marry the king's daughter. So the king's name is Saul, and he's a pretty powerful guy, pretty good leader at this point until jealousy takes over. And he loves the fact that David has made him look good because they've defeated. Goliath and the Philistines. So he makes David a commander in the army. He also makes him his brother-in-law, I'm sorry, his son-in-law, by marrying his daughter. Well, David just keeps, he becomes a national, like American Idol person. He he does the the songs people love in the nation. He keeps winning incredible military conquest. And the nation's doing great. But now David's getting more popular than Saul. And Saul begins to see him as as a competitor. And he decides he needs to destroy him. Now, King Saul has a son, a natural son, his oldest, named Jonathan, next in line to be king. And Jonathan should also be intimidated by, by David, because David looks like he might try and overthrow the kingdom. And the person who would lose the most would be Jonathan, next in line. But in fact, Jonathan, who has the most to lose, becomes deep friends with David. They, they fight together. They uh, they enjoy each other's company. They laugh together. They go on adventures together. And, and here in their friendship, we're going to get to a pivotal moment I'm going to share within a moment. We see kind of three aspects of friendship. The first one is that friends are, kind of have this rollout stage. You roll out kind of what's going on in your life. Here's the things I'm excited about. Here's the things I'm happy about. Here's the things I'm working on. Here's the things I'm kind of, uh, kind of you know, uh, got a little bit of stress on. When you roll out things, the depth of a friendship is almost always determined by the width of your stories, your secrets, your experiences, the worries you've shared, and the stories you've you've had together, right? And these two guys have had lots of stories. Having each other's back in battle, climbing up some incredible mountains for some sneak attacks that they did, I mean, it's pretty amazing, amazing stories. But David has now found out that Jonathan's dad is trying to kill him. Jonathan's dad, David's father-in-law. Here's what he says to Jonathan. David fled from Naoth, just the name of the city, and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? Which basically like a word for sin or or, uh, what have I done wrong? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Your dad's trying to kill me, he basically says. Jonathan says, no, by no means. You will not die. Indeed, my father won't do anything, great or small, without telling me first. Why should my father hide this thing from me? So they're they're having a little conflict here. He's like, listen, you think my dad's trying to kill you? You're being a little paranoid. You're kind of blowing things out of proportion. No. But David's kind of rolling it all out for him. I'm telling you. I know this is going to maybe be, I don't want to put you between, you got to choose between your dad and I, but I'm telling you, your dad's trying to kill me. He's rolling out his concerns, he's rolling out his worries, he's rolling out his whole life is threatened. Well, they decide to find out this is true. So David had been called to have dinner with the king. And if the king calls you, you've got to go. Jonathan says, well, don't go and I'll tell dad I gave you permission not to go and we'll see what happens. And in this moment, we find what friendships always do. It's in the, the midst of difficulty and challenge we draw out people's inner character, Right? Friendships always draw out your inner character. You find out when things are tough, after there's a conflict, when there's a difficulty, you find out what's really inside each other. Friendships draw out and call out our inner character. So David took an oath again. He says, your father certainly, I'm telling you, I'm not lying. He knows I found favor in your sight. He knows we are friends. That's why he hasn't told you what he's doing. He has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives and your soul lives, there is but one step between me and death. And Jonathan said to him, I'll tell you what, if that is true, I love this line. Whatever you desire, your self-desire, I will do it for you. Now think of that. This guy, by choosing to be willing to side with David, it's it's his royal position. It's his position in the family, his position in the kingdom. This is a pretty big moment. So he goes to dinner. David doesn't show up. And here we find out the third step in friendship is that friendship at some point is going to Cost you something. You don't have to pay out. Love and friendship always cost you time. It costs you something. And it's going to cost Jonathan big. So remember, David was supposed to show up for dinner and he didn't. And here's what happens. So Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. And look at this friendship here. He loved him as he loved his own soul. There's just this mutual admiration, this mutual connection with each other. I, I treat you the way I treat myself. So now Jonathan's at dinner with his dad, saw his father. And when David doesn't show up, Saul's like, where is he? I told him to be here. And Jonathan says, well, I told him he didn't have to come. How dare you do that? He should be killed. And suddenly Jonathan's like, oh, David was right. So he asks his dad, why should he be killed? What has he done? And Saul doesn't like having answered answer to anybody. He's the king. He takes out a spear and tries to kill his own son for questioning him. It's then Jonathan knew it was determined by his father to kill David. Kind of a subtle hint, right? Just a subtle hint. Yeah, you think dad's mad at him? I don't know. I tried to, to have him not show up at a party and dad threw a spear at me. I think he might be mad. Yeah, this guy's very discerning. So they had made an agreement. Kind of what's, the, what's the way to get that information back to David? So Jonathan would go out to the field where he'd pull out his, uh, his bow and arrow and he'd be doing target practice. And David was going to hide in the woods. And then he had kind of a servant, Jonathan did, a lad that he would send out to grab the arrows. So if... David's life was threatened, he would say to the lad, hey, I think the arrows went a little bit farther. And if David's life was safe, he'd say, oh, the, the arrows a little closer. So sure enough, Jonathan tum, tum, shoots him out. Lad runs out. David's hiding somewhere in the woods, enough he can hear it. And here's Jonathan yell out, hey, I think they went a little farther. So Jonathan cried out after the lad, is not the arrow beyond you? As soon as the lad had gone, David knew. Jonathan knows I am in danger. And it was safe, so David comes in. They rose from a place toward the south. David falls flat on his face to the ground. He realizes this has cost his friend a great deal to warn him. A lot of equity with his dad and with the kingdom. He bowed down three times, a sign of respect, and they kissed one another. Which is kind of weird for our culture, like guys don't kiss. But if you think about you know, Latin America cultures or Greek cultures, in that culture, a sign of friendship was to embrace each other, to kiss each other's cheek. It was very much a part of, of deep moments of friendship. They wept together. And David more so. David, no, his life's on the line. His buddy just saved his life. That's how high the stakes are here. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And here's what's pretty amazing about the story. David will eventually become king. And Jonathan will not be king. And when Jonathan dies in a battle, Jonathan's descendants are now alive, and David has a chance to kill the descendants because they're all threats to his kingdom. And David, it's one thing to to need something when you're in the minor position. When David is in the position of authority, he honors this commitment years later by taking one of the the, uh, crippled um, relatives of Jonathan, a guy named Mephibosheth, who was running away from battle and he actually was dropped and and he his two broken legs. And David actually restores him to all the kingdom and all the resources that Jonathan was owed. Just a beautiful picture of friendship, whether you're in the powerful position or the lack of power. And ultimately the Bible begins to present Jesus when he comes up in the New Testament as the son of David. He's the ultimate king. He's the ultimate friend. He's the ultimate person who paid the ultimate cost. You talk about a friendship, Jesus, the way the, the way the Bible claims is he left heaven with all its comfort and all its perfection because he wanted to show you and invite you into a friendship. And it cost him dearly, being nails pounded into his, his hands and his feet. But he cost it all because he wanted to roll out the opportunity to draw the best in you by showing you that he was willing to pay to show you his love for you. There's a book I've referenced several times in this series, it's called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And he talks about how you need to be vulnerable. I mean, what could be more vulnerable than God becoming as a baby? That's pretty vulnerable. He talks about friendship this way. He says, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. No, no, wrap your heart up carefully with hobbies, little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of selfishness. But in that casket, safe dark and motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable. You see, to love is to be vulnerable. It hurts to get into a relationship and be hurt or have your expectations drop down. But God was willing to take great risk. And Jonathan and David is a, a great example of friends who, who dug deep wells, rolled it out, drew it out, and then paid out. To show their friendship with each other. There's a study of a psychologist. Um, they did a whole study on what makes for friendship. And they said the secret to friendship. you want to move from acquaintance to friendship. The quickest way is divulging a secret. Divulging a secret to an acquaintance can help you pave the way to friendship much faster than normal. Jump down the end. Using self-disclosure builds trust and understanding. I love having people over at my house, and, and I hang out with people doing all kinds of things. i got a group I go skiing with every week. i got a group I go boating with uh, during the summer months. i got folks I play pickleball with. I just love being around people. And uh, we met a, a couple that had been attending our church seven or eight years ago. Didn't know them very well. We invite them over. And one of the things we do at my house is I like to play games. So The game's kind of going on in the background while we talk. So I was teaching them bocce ball. So in bocce ball, you throw this little bitty ball about the size of a golf ball. And then everybody has some bigger balls, and you're trying to get yours closer, and whoever's closer gets points. But really, that just becomes background noise for talking. Hey, what have you been up to? Hey, what's going on? Hey, anything challenging going on? So as we're kind of walking around the yard, throwing this little ball around, um, we're just kind of talking a little bit. And I didn't think much of it. We've done it my whole life. My parents used to do it with us, and we did it with friends. We get done, and my buddy Greg comes up to me. He's like, man, I really, I really enjoyed this. It's all good. Well, bocce ball's a fun game. Most of them have played it. He's like, no, not just that. I can't believe, like, for the last hour, we had, like, real conversations. I was kind of struck by it. I, I said, what do you mean? He's like, I not know, we just kind of talked about, like, real stuff, not just the Bengals, not just weather, not just kind of, you know, how's the job going. But, like, you wanted to know a little bit about my life, what's going on. You shared about your life, what you're struggling with, and some things that are, are on your heart. And I was just struck by how surprising it was that something as simple as playing a game and asking questions would be so distinct to his experience. I mentioned last week I'm reading a book or read a book called The Power of Other by Henry Cloud. He says one of the roles he plays as a consultant of Fortune 50 and Fortune 500 CEOs is to be their friend. As a friend, he's trying to draw out of them the best of themselves. He's working with one client who just found himself getting defensive at home with his wife, defensive with his chairman, and whenever there was a big thing going on, like, oh my goodness, we got a you know, possible hostile takeover going on. what What, what kind of plans or strategies you have in place. Over time, he just would get very defensive about that. He was in a, always in a defensive position in how he responded to people. But by having a friend like Henry Cloud, yeah, a consultant, but really a friend who's willing to ask the challenging questions. And often when you get higher up in the organization, there's less and less people who can question your, your, your wisdom or, or push back on your ideas and, and really ask you why you're motivated to do what you do. So he, uh, he just began over the time, began to see him, his, his, his responses change. In fact, the next time the chairman was calling him about this kind of big deal going on in the company, he said, what I noticed is not only was I not defensive, I actually was offensive. Hey, I've already got some plans. I've already thought about that. And I've got this uh, plan A and plan B and we've coordinated this. And I'm finding myself being less resistant to, to people asking. And so he turned to Henry Cloud and he says, I guess I need more to-do lists. It's, lot, it's not about a to-do list. It's, about a, it's not what you do, it's who you're becoming. And friends have this ability to help us figure out what motivates us so we can figure out we're becoming something more. Then we react differently in all aspects because we're becoming a better version of ourselves. But we've got to know the cost and the benefits of friendship. So let me show you one more thing uh, today in the second point, which is that if you want to draw... The deep waters from someone? It's going to require listening lines and buckets of trust. If you want a well that goes down deep, you're going to have to really put lots and lots of line in the ground. And I'm not yet anyone who's a great listener. Well, some people are above average, but most of us are average at best listeners. But if you want to really know what's going on in your teenager's life or your parents life, if you want to know what's going on in a colleague's life or your boss's life, you really need to be a much better listener. Because the better we are at listening, which is three things that make you a good listener. Empathy, respect, and warmth. Not judging. Tell me more. What's going on? Why was that important to you? The listening line allows you to go deeper and deeper into the heart of the person you're listening to. And your ability to draw out that water is based on the level of trust you've developed. You're not going to share something deep with someone who hasn't shown trust. So how do you learn to listen well and how to have a bucket of trust? It gets bigger and bigger. One of my favorite proverbs in the whole Bible is in Proverbs 20. It says, counsel, wisdom, it's almost like the motivations, might be another way of saying it, in the heart of a man is like deep waters. However, a man of understanding can draw it out. The deep underneath the surface level stuff, we think, we feel, we're motivated by deep things. But it takes a a man of understanding to draw that out. In Hebrew, you kind of get a little bit more of the color to this verse. When it says counsel in the heart of a man, a a man's emotions, a man's heart, a man's center core almost is what's saying there. If you want to get to the core of who a person is. The deep water is almost like looking down into that well. It's the mysteries, the, the unsearchable things, you don't even know them about yourself sometimes. You need someone else who can ask the right question or, or can, can just nudge you just a little bit to see it from a different perspective. And you're like, man, that's always, I've always wondered why I reacted that way. I've always wondered why that made me so mad. you begin to look in some mysteries to how you were formed in your origin story. However, who's going to be able to do that? It says a man of understanding, which literally is a person with skillfulness and wisdom. A man who can skillfully, or a woman, who can skillfully weave, knowing when to listen, when to nudge, when to pull back, what degree of grace, what degree of truth. But a person of understanding who's wise in understanding or skillful in wisdom can draw it out. And literally it's pull up the bucket. Pull up the bucket. I use this phrase often. I get a chance to hear a lot of people's secrets challenges. And I've been with a lot of guys in some of their worst, most difficult moments. I'll just give you three, because I've used this phrase almost every time. I had one friend came up and was right in the middle of a big secret that blew up that was affecting him and his marriage. So we walked in, we were going to meet together, and he just could see the shame. He looked at me, he's like, man, I, thanks for meeting with me. I, I don't even know what to do. I looked him in the eye, and I, I said, well, I want you to know this. Number one, no matter what happens, no matter what you're going to go through, no matter what the next few weeks or months hold, I'm going to be your friend through this. I'm not your counselor, I'm not a psychologist, but I will be the man of understanding to kind of help you figure out how we got here and how we get out. I, one guy sat down with me a couple months ago and he said, Chad, I, I'm going to share some things with you and you probably won't want to be my friend when we're done talking. And I'd known this guy for many, many years, make up couple decades. He finished talking, and I looked him in the eye, could see the shame again. I said, man, I am still proud to be your friend. And thanks for taking the courage to let me in. Let's see if we can draw out how we got here and how we can move forward. We need friends like that. Friends who not only will be there for us, but also are willing to say, listen, let me help figure out, let me, let me help dig down those deeper waters. There's a book called Crucial Conversations. And it cites in marriages, in family, with kids, in business, with partners. There's just little crucial conversations that are pivotal to move us to those moments of conflict. We're going to decide, is this where the friendship dies? Or is this where maybe there can be a a depth to the friendship? A reconciliation, a forgiveness, an ownership, a new level. (laughs) He tells a funny story. He says one of the crucial conversations with his wife is every night he would get up and brush his teeth. (laughs) and every night the spittle from his toothbrush went all over the mirror. And several times she had said over their 10, 20 years of marriage, it was 15 years of marriage, could you please clean the mirror when you're done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He forgot again, forgot again. So after years of this, she finally, it was one more day, he's brushing his teeth, spittle all over the mirror. She's like, this is ridiculous. I told you so many times, I can't believe you can't simply do something that's clean the mirror. He's like, I can't believe you're talking to me like this. So he decided, not because she said she had to, to teach her a lesson. He was going to sleep on the couch. (laughs) Yes. He's going to show her a lesson, but can't believe she talked to me this way. So he sat on the couch, slept on the couch that night, got up the next morning expecting an apology. They're having breakfast. No apology. So he prompted, hey, think it's about time for an apology for what happened last night? Yes, I do. From you, from me. What are you talking about? So then she's like, well, listen, I, I'm sorry for the tone I used, but my point's the same. Well, that's not a very good apology. And he began to realize that he's need to apologize. But it was that crucial conversation. Again, the, the life is filled with these little moments, and they're usually seemingly little things that speak to bigger issues. How we respect each other, how we love each other, how we lean into each other. We need to get good at crucial conversations they take our friendship, they take our partnership, they take our relationship to a deeper level. Sometimes they're small things, sometimes they're big things. He ultimately apologized and realized she had been asking for plenty of times and he had to prioritize this because it was a big deal to her. I got two friends in our church who just go at each other's throat politically. I try and stay away from political conversations, but these two friends love talking politics and they're on two different sides of the, of the, of the uh, equation every single time. Well, one of them decided he was going to write a letter to the editor, and we'd done lots of those, and, and we'd kind of had a fun harassing each other around time uh, about those things, but there was one in particular that he felt like this, this letter to the editor, because he'd asked his buddy to read it in advance, was going to be hurtful to his friend. So he called me up, because I'm friends with both of them. He says, Chad, could you sit down? Obviously, we disagree on, on politics here, but I'm more concerned that if he writes this editorial the way it's written, it might be harmful to him. I care about him even though I disagree with his politics. And I tell you, to his credit, what the three of us got on the phone and kind of said, hey, listen, we know we all kind of disagree on stuff, but, man, we're really concerned about this. Let me tell you why. You don't have to take our advice. Do whatever you want. It's a free country. But here's why we're concerned that this might be harmful to you. And, you know, and to, to our credit, uh, to his credit, rather, he said, you know what, that's a great point. Uh, you know, I don't think I would have seen that blind spot even though we disagree on A, B, and C, man, you're, I wouldn't have seen the blind spot here if I hadn't been for friends. I got one of my good friends is uh, Matt Dixon. And so uh, Matt and I have been friends for many, many years. And one of the things I love about friendship is just the, the kind of stuff you do together. So Matt uh, and I love roller coasters. And right in the middle of kind of taking care of my wife when she had back surgery for two years, I just couldn't get out much and couldn't get away for much time. And I said, man, I would love to go ride the dragster at Cedar Point. I said, but I, I got to do it in a day. Man's like, I'm in. I said, well, the only way I can figure to do it is we get up at 4 in the morning. I'm not a morning person. We drive straight to Cedar Point. We start riding roller coasters by 10. We roller coaster until 5 p.m. And we drive home by by, by 10 p.m. midnight. He says, that sounds great. That's a good friend right there. That's a good friend. So we had the best time. And we go up there. We're riding the drag strip, And it wasn't like long lines that day. But because there's no long lines, we're going like roller coaster to roller coaster to roller coaster. And then you find out that you're in your mid-40s now or your 50s. You need that long line to get your equilibrium back. So I get off the second roller coaster. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'm getting kind of woozy. I'm like, oh, I'm getting old. I need to go get ginger ale. So I go over. I'm like sipping the ginger ale so I can go on another roller coaster. He's like, you're getting old, right? Because that's what friends do. I'm a really avid uh, skier, a pretty good skier. I've been skiing since I was 14. So we took a big trip together, he and a couple of buddies, and went to Keystone out in Wyoming. And a couple of my buddies had gone there many years in in the past and told us about it. We happened to go the one year that was the worst snow ever. This has got these steep, steep inclines, and it rained, and it is like a block of ice all the way down. Like perfect north, only 45 minutes of ice. (laughs) And we get up there, my buddy Matt is not as experienced as me. My other buddy is like, oh, I haven't fallen in 25 years. Well, we get up in this mountain. It is as slick as you can imagine. The fog is so bad you can only see three feet in front of you. I mean, I've never skied in these places. So I'm trying to help Matt who's not used to these kind of positions. And so we're trying to do, you know, sharp grooves left and right. My buddy who hasn't fallen in 25 years, he takes off. And sure enough, by God's grace... He gets clobbered. About forty-five minutes later, we find him in a big pile. And we felt bad because he was bleeding. But you know, after we realized he was fine. That's you know, <laughs> so guys do. We heard, thought you hadn't fallen in forty-five years—that kind of thing. And then every night, we did what guys do. You know, we, we got together, we had dinner, we pulled out some wine, some steak, and it was those times we really talked about each other's life. Well, we had a remath, a, a retake. Of, I can't believe you fell. And oh, you guys got a little bit better by the end of the day. We encouraged each other, we affirmed each other. The other thing we did is we asked about each other's life. Hey, Chad. How has your life changed being a special needs dad? Do you ever kind of resent the fact that your life was heading in this direction until the surprise came your way? I don't want to offend you, but I just was curious. We just had some real conversations about life. And every night, we enjoyed the skiing, but even more, we enjoyed just those times together. Asking, dialoguing, drawing out the deeper water. So here's what I encourage you. Find someone and find somewhere that you can be drawn deeper. You're not going to find very many of these people. If you get one, you're lucky. If you get four, wow. What is the someone that can nudge you, can ask those questions, can get to the deeper motivations of your life, who, who you can enjoy their company with, but also you can kind of grow with? And what is some place? And all of us are different. You have know, some of us is going to be a, going to be a, at a soccer field. Some of us it's going to be, you know, watching a game, some of it's going to be playing board games, it just we're all going to be different. What is that some place and someone that's going to allow you to have those deeper relationships. Jesus was a master at this. Jesus would gather friends together and he'd say, "I want you to know I'm someone you can trust and I'm going to prove it to you at great cost to myself." He says, "Greater love has no one than this." Right? than to lay down one's life for his friends. I want you to know I'm a safe place. Whatever you've done wrong, I died for it and forgave it already. Whatever you're ashamed of, it's covered. Whatever secret you have, I already know about it. And I proved it by dying a gruesome death because you're that valuable to me. Then he turns to his disciples and he says, guys, I call you friends. He could call him his peons, <laughs> his servants. He says, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. No, no, you're not just my servants. I call you friends. I share what my father shared with me. I share my secrets. I share where I'm headed. I got a tough night. I need some guys to come pray with me. It's going to be a tough day tomorrow. I'm going to be incarcerated. Jesus was always inviting people and sharing people. And he says, you can trust me. I've proven it. I've paid out the cost that I'm the kind of environment and the kind of person you can trust because I'm willing to die for you.